It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland, for innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So I don't shoot kind of this. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, Every day. Canada, the NBA title is yours. We're going to the free time of the Hail Mary 3 by Mo Get that garbage out of here. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 958 of Lockdown Raptors for Wednesday? Yeah, Wednesday, June the 2nd. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Lockdown Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, please make sure to subscribe to, rate, review, follow, whatever it is your podcast app of choice asks you to do for the podcast that you like to support them. Please go ahead and do that. It's very much appreciated on all the podcast apps, Apple, Google, Odyssey, whatever it might be. We love you for your support. Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in the episode as we get creative with off-season Ultra Players of the Week. It's going to get fun. Uh, All right, on today's show, it's just me going solo, and I'm going to crank out a few... Uh, player reviews for our season in season from hell in review series of episodes uh, we're going to dive into uh, a trio of players today one who is very exciting and good this year one who is very unexciting and quite bad and someone who is kind of in between uh, and we'll start off with the in-between guy first we're going to talk about DeAndre Bembry off the top then we're going to dive into Aaron Baines's season and wallow for one last time in one of the worst single seasons in Raptors history and uh, and dig into some big takeaways there and we'll close off on a high note and we'll talk about Yuta Watanabe, who figures to be a part of the team going forward for sure. And that will be a delight because Yuta himself is a delight to talk about. So we'll get to those three players today as we continue to cross dudes off the list. Uh, we'll have these reviews done by probably mid next week, maybe late next week. And then we will go full bore into the draft. We'll do individual draft profiles and all that good stuff. And I'm looking quite forward to that as I'm finally kind of getting my feet wet in watching film and seeing what players I like and um, continuing to reassure myself that my choice of Keon Johnson yesterday in the locked on NBA mock lottery draft was correct. Cause I think it was, Anyway, 
We'll get to draft stuff in due time. We also have a very fun episode coming out on June 14th and 15th, so keep an eye out for those. But uh, anyway, in the meantime, we got the uh, the player reviews for Benbury, Baines, Utah Watanabe to get to. Before I get into that, though, just want to do a quick reminder that we are doing a Locked On Raptors draft lottery watch party Tuesday, June 22nd, lottery night, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. We'll fire up the Zoom. Sounds like the lottery's going down at about 8.30, so we'll have an hour ahead of time to fill with Q&A, do some trivia. It'll be a great time. And have some pals from Raptors Internet join. And of course, to get in, all you need to do is make a $25 or more donation to one of the Indian Residential School Survivor Society or the Islamic Relief Palestine Emergency Fund. Uh, very important and uh, good causes right now. And thanks to those who have already donated and submitted their uh, receipts to get their spot on the Zoom Draft Watch Party. It's going to be great. We already have $365 raised, which is incredible in one day. And uh, very much looking forward to the very fun and full Zoom room that I'm hoping we'll have. And you can continue to send your receipts in. Just DM me on Twitter is the easiest way to do it. You can also email me, sean.woodley1 at gmail.com. Uh, I originally said you can email the Lockdown Raptors email. I can't access it right now, so that's probably not the best one to go. Um, but either way... June 22nd, you can. there's unlimited spots in the Zoom call. It's going to be a ton of fun, and I can't wait to get into it. And uh, you can go to my pinned tweet on Twitter for all the information about how to submit your receipt and get into the watch party as we watch, hopefully, the Raptors climb up into the top four somewhere. All right, let's get to it. DeAndre Bembry is who we're going to start off with today as we continue on with our review. So just a refresher on Bembry's season, 51 games played, 5.7 points, 2.9 boards, 2.1 assists. He shot 26% from three, not exactly lighting the world on fire. He shot 59% from two, though, a career high from two for DeAndre Bembry. He, of course, started 12 games for the Raptors, too. was kind of in and out of the lineup. It was a... Very inconsistent, uneven year for DeAndre Bembry, and I think that kind of informs my big takeaway from Bembry's season with the team, which is that I kind of think he got a bit of a raw deal this year and never really got the proper opportunity to showcase how useful a player he can be. I think off the the start of the season, he really did not get a look from Nick Nurse for a good long while. It wasn't until the 16th game of the year that he broke into double digits in minutes played. Actually, it wasn't until that game, the first of two games against the Pacers, which I recall fondly. I believe the first one was where uh, OG went for 32 and guarded every member of the Pacers for about five minutes each. Um, but before that, Bembry hadn't played more than 530. He was a DNP in about half the games, kind of just playing garbage time and blowouts in the other games as well. And I, I thought that was a weird decision off the top. You know, Nick Nurse prides himself on having dudes who know how to play defense and who have high IQ and DeAndre Bembry say what you will about his limitations but the dude can play defense and the dude has a high IQ and you know maybe the skill level doesn't quite match what the IQ wants to do on the floor but still he's a pretty useful little player and I think he's most useful and he proved that this season he's most useful when he is like the fifth option in a lineup surrounded by other good players he did not really get a lot of run this year where he got to do that. Really, there was one stretch of the season where he got to sort of assume a regular role and was reliably kind of penciled into the rotation as like the eighth or ninth guy and often got to play with good lineups, often got to play in small ball lineups when the Raptors were really at their peak this season, kind of between the end of January and the start of March. So I guess just the month of February, if we're uh, <laughs> saying things in the simplest form. Um, you know, February was really where he kind of 
got to flex his muscles. The Raptors were quite good in February, of course. They were quite good when they went small. And Bembry, because the Raptors were healthy at the time, more or less, and he was able to assume a pretty small role in the lineups that he was playing in, he was able to do the things that he does well. He's an excellent cutter, and that was, I think, maybe his most impressive skill this season. He obviously is a good defender, great jump in the passing lanes. If you're talking about guys who have the defensive chops to play the Raptors' preferred defensive style, feels like Benbury's kind of a guy who can do that, who can scramble around, make the smart rotations. He's a high IQ guy, once again, and that's what the Raptors' defense calls for. And I thought Benbury did a really nice job when he was not overburdened with ball handling duties. You know, he'd pick up his two, three, four assists a game as a secondary guy, sometimes playing with bench units, but mostly kind of working as as an alternate ball handler when Fred Van Vliet or Kyle Lowry didn't have the ball. And I thought it worked quite nicely. Um, They were able to sometimes do sort of a more... Uh, effective version of the Rondé Hollis-Jefferson running point thing that they did last year where because the rest of the players on the floor could shoot, they would have Rondé with the ball in his hands and sort of uh, leverage his downhill energy, (laughs) if I'm looking for a polite way to describe it, and have him work as, you know, a point center-ish. Similarly with Bembry, he could work the pick and roll. He has those point guard instincts from when he was back playing for St. John's, and, you know, he doesn't have to flex it all that much in the NBA when he's playing in the sort of role that suits him. And I think that's where, you know, because he wasn't overburdening himself. He wasn't overextending himself in that time in February when, again, he was playing a good 20 minutes a game alongside good players more often than not. He just was perfectly slotted in as a fifth guy in a lineup. And then, of course, March comes around and everyone gets hurt and everyone gets sick and they lose every game in March except for one. And Bembry kind of loses his job as the Raptors begin their slide. So the All-Star break happens. They come out of the break. They lose, uh, what is it, five games in a row, six games in a row out of the break. And after five games, sorry, they lose like nine out of the break. Sorry, the the basketball reference game log is getting all messed up here. But they lose all those games out of the break. And the first five games out, Bembry is not very good. He's pretty inefficient. He has an 0 for 5 game in there, a 4 of 9, a 2 of 6, an 0 of 1 in 28 minutes. You know, not super effective. And I don't know how much he can really put that on him. He also had high turnover rates in these games. He had four turnovers twice in that five-game stretch. And I don't know what else you were supposed to expect from DeAndre Benbury if you're Nick Nurse. Benbury was playing along lineups that were completely overmatched. Let me just pull up the starting lineup from one of these games against the Hawks, for example. The Raptors are rolling out a starting five of Powell, Lowry, Bembry, Baines, and Stanley Johnson with Chris Boucher coming off the bench and Paul Watson playing a ton of minutes. Terrence Davis still on the team at this time. He's not playing with good players at any point in any of these games, frankly. And I thought it was a little bit unfair that that stretch seemed to cost Benbury his spot in the rotation more or less for the rest of the year. He'd get in for a couple games here and there, had a nice game against Washington, for example, um, and, you know, he finished playing in every game down the stretch because, you know, the Raptors didn't have much else to do. And again, he was overburdened. They were like 2-10 and 10 to close the season, and he was a big part of those lineups. He was playing 20, 30, in some cases 40 minutes in these games. And again, I just think that's just an overextension of what makes DeAndre Benbury good. And I think it was kind of unfair to expect that he was going to do anything differently. This brings you to the question of what to do next year with DeAndre Bembry. He has a team option for next year for, I believe, the minimum. It's not a very large contract. It might have been the biannual exception, but I'm pretty sure it's the minimum. I would hope they'd bring him back. I think with the way the team is kind of looking for next season, the way the roster construction is shaking out, 
I think there's going to be a need for just reliable 10th, 11th, 12th men. The Raptors feel like they're going to have a pretty decent 10-man rotation going into next year. Whatever happens with Kyle is sort of on top of it, but if you go in with Pascal, OG, Fred, uh, Gary Trent, Malachi Flynn, that's five, Boucher, that's six, X-Center they bring in, that's seven, Kem Birch, that's eight, uh, you know, their first-round pick, that's nine, I'm surely forgetting somebody, but they're going to have, a, and Utah as well, who we'll get to in the final segment, you know, they're going to have a pretty good stable of guys that are going to make up the majority of the rotation, and then having Benbury as a guy who can slot in as a bit of a glue guy, I think it'd be super useful for a cheap amount of money. He's also a good vibes guy and all that, um, so that's the ultimate takeaway here, is this was a kind of incomplete season, an unfair to season, unfair season to judge Benbury on because the circumstances kind of thrust him into a position he's just not suited for, um, but I'd like to see him back next year because the flashes we did see were really nice, and it was just nice having a competent fifth guy out there who knew where everyone else was going to be, knew the well-timed cutting and things like that to kind of open things up for the better players. Uh, count me in on uh, bring back Benbury Hive, if that's a thing. I've just established it, I suppose. Uh, we're going to continue on, and we're going to dive into Aaron Baines, someone who I think I'm going to be less enthusiastic about bringing back just in one second here. But first, I want to dive into our Michelob Ultra Player of the Week for this week. Uh, boy, it's tough. The Raptors aren't in the playoffs. It's bizarre. We'd typically be pulling from playoff performances here. And so I'm going to go with an honorary Raptors player of the week. It's a former Raptor who's doing really cool things in the playoffs, and his team's going to lose probably uh, as early as like tonight or tomorrow. But uh, I still dig this guy quite a bit. And that is Jonas Valanciunas, who has been an absolute delight, just pounding the hell out of Rudy Gobert, doing his darndest to get the Grizzlies through the series. Um, he's been a blast to watch all season long. You know, I, I still, you know... The, the, I, <laughs> I found myself getting so negative about Jonas when he was on the team because I was not one of these Jonas Hive people who thought he was this incredible uh, Shaq-esque player who wasn't getting enough touches. And he still has his limitations, sure, but man, has he ever sort of overcome a lot of them just by being the meanest dude to play against in the NBA. You know, it doesn't elicit joy or happiness to play against him if you are a player, but... Uh, if you're watching it, it absolutely is a very, very enjoyable experience, much like drinking a Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. It's only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. Enjoyment isn't the end game. It's the whole game, and joy creates success. A huge thank you to Michelob Ultra for sponsoring the podcast, and congratulations to former Raptor Jonas Valanciunas on being this week's Michelob Ultra Player of the Week. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Before we continue on into Aaron Baines' talk, I uh, just want to remind you that the Road to the NBA Finals is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Of course, the Raptors aren't in the playoffs, so you're not getting much playoff coverage here, but our other lockdown shows are doing a wonderful job covering the postseason, and our NBA playoff coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's the only worth it if you enjoyed at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. We can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. All right, let's get it out of the way. 
Aaron Baines, let's talk about it. Uh, this was rough, of course. Let's remind you what happened to Aaron Baines this season. He was, of course, signed as the Plan B when Marcus Saul and Serge Ibaka left for L.A., and at the time, it was a pretty celebrated signing, myself included, and I think most people were on board with thinking, as far as Plan Bs go, this one's not bad. This one kind of makes sense. Aaron Baines was coming off an excellent season with the Suns. He didn't play in the bubble because of COVID, but during the regular season, 42 games for him, 11.5 points, 5.6 boards. He shot 35% on four threes a game, and my thinking was, he's going to come in, he's going to eagerly take threes, he's going to provide sound, steady, unsexy rim protection, and it's going to be basically like a mercenary center year. You're not going to get a ton of surplus value there, but it was going to be really easy for Aaron Baines to kind of hold up his end of the bargain. I even wrote as much for Raptors HQ at the start of the season about how I thought Baines like, it really was not going to be hard for him to scratch the Raptors' backs, considering the Raptors kind of had the infrastructure to scratch the back of any center who had a pulse, basically, with their good perimeter defense and all of that. Of course, the perimeter defense was not what it was supposed to be. Injuries, things like that kind of hurt uh, that element of the Raptors, of course as did the sort of cycling of new players in who just aren't the same as the guys who comprise the defense on the title defense team or on the title team. You had Kyle Lowry taking a bit of a step back defensively as well. Norm Powell had a really bad defensive season. And then that was all compounded by the fact that Baines looked utterly incapable of playing the Raptors' defense. He was out of position around the rim. He was unable to jump. He was unable to grab rebounds. It was really baffling stuff. I, I just, I don't, know how you could have expected a guy coming in and looking so unlike an NBA player. He did not look like an NBA player this season, and I think any expectations for him, even tempered ones, had him being a far more effective and reliable player than he was. Instead, he looked like one of the worst rotation players in the NBA. Of course, as the season goes along, they end up going small, adopting the small ball lineup, and you finally got a bit of a section of the season where Baines looked kind of competent, where they had him playing with Chris Boucher on the bench in that uh, that the big formation, and it worked for a little bit. He wasn't asked to do too much. The starting five was killing teams. The bench, even if they were given stuff back, they weren't bleeding points, and things seemed kind of hunky-dory. And then, of course, the injuries happen. Everything else goes awry. Uh, the COVID hits the team and Baines has to play more and it just wasn't working. He's just, he wasn't cut out for it. Now, not to mention the three point shooting just completely tapered off after being 35 and 34% the two seasons prior. He goes just 26% from three. Every three he took felt laborious and like agony watching it. It was awful. And of course, by the end of the season, until the last couple games, he was completely out of the rotation entirely once they brought in Ken Birch and we were sort of uh, shown the light of what a reliable center could look like. I want to say this, though, like, I feel bad about how the Baines thing went because it got so toxic and I can't imagine it was an easy year for him. He had just had a kid. He was relocating to a city that he wasn't going to be living in long term. He had the the player option kind of looming over him, a pretty big one, honestly, the team option of six and a half million. Almost certainly that's going to get turned down. And I'd be surprised, frankly, if he latches on with an NBA team next season. And it did feel at times like it was piling on because, you know, only so much success was going to be had when Aaron Baines was the third or fourth most reliable player on the team, the most experienced player on the team, when they really hit their dark times. 
obviously he wasn't cut out for being the starter on a good team and we we learned that quickly and the Raptors eventually adapted to that but it did feel like a bit of a pylon fest you you had the weird comments from like Adrian Griffin about wow it's just nice to have bigs on the team as though Aaron Baines were just not there anymore and I think it's probably important to think about like the mental aspect of all this for Aaron Baines before you go like jump in the mentions or anything like that or denigrate the Baines fan club account like it was a really tough season and I don't think piling on the poor performance that he knew what was going on he looked frustrated every second he was on the floor he knew what was happening and I think the piling on and I'll, I'll cop to it as well I probably piled on a little bit too much too and I'm not going to enjoy thinking about the Aaron Baines experience anymore but I also don't know if you need to sort of go any further than just the the performance and stuff like that because the performance was uh, everyone realizes Baines including how bad it was and I think it's fine to just leave it there yeah, you know, wish him all the best and all that. But yeah, I do not envision Aaron Baines being back next season. And the big takeaway, though, that I have from Baines and also the sort of the Ken Birch renaissance in the back part of the season is the annoying thing about it is that I think the Raptors were right in their thinking that Baines could help them survive a year after losing Ibaka and Gasol. It didn't work out, obviously. He just is not the same player. Injuries may be catching up. He's 34. Maybe that's part of it, too. Um, but that is sort of still my overarching takeaway from this entire season is, yes, you, you can criticize them for not going after big sooner, you know, more aggressively pursuing Birch before the trade deadline, whatever that might be. But I, I still think the thinking of, all right, we can lean into playing small a bunch. We don't need a ton of minutes from a center here. We don't need the 48 minutes of good center play we got last year. We can go small. We proved in the playoffs that's doable. The 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 theory, the philosophy behind it, I thought made some sense. Of course, the execution and the practical uh, sort of rollout of the Baines experiment did not work whatsoever, and that's too bad for all involved. I still think, though, you gotta sort of, if you're a Raptors fan, don't get too sort of overcorrecty in your brain. Overcorrecty? That's a word now, sure. Um, you know, I think there's a danger of looking at how badly things went with Baines and thinking, oh no, small ball's bad, never go small ball again. You need good centers, you need good centers, you know, for 48 minutes a night. And obviously, Birch and Gillespie, once they started playing, really showed that, hey, there is a lot of value to good centers. But I also just think it's a, a matter of, Baines was so particularly ill-suited for that spot and the Raptors were at their best keep in mind their their best run of the season coincided with Aaron Baines's best basketball of the season as well in a limited bench role so it, it, it's um it's a weird one uh, I, I feel bad for Baines I don't think he's going to rank very highly in my ranking every Raptor update this summer uh but I uh wish him all the best in whatever the next step of his career is whether it's Europe whether it's going back to Australia whether it's signing on with some team as a third big I don't know um, but you know, ultimately he seemed like a good dude, seemed like he was mostly a good sport. And it's a shame that, uh, the things went the way they did with Aaron Baines. That said, we can turn our attention to something more uh, positive and exciting. That is Yuta Watanabe. We're going to get to Yuta and review his season in just one second here. But first I want to tell you about our friends over at Built Bar who are making the best tasting protein bars around. They're amazing. They have nine staple flavors, including coconut almond, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie. Uh, and if you don't know which one you want, you can always get a mixed box and get two of each flavor to decide your favorite and order a full box. And also they have uh, the occasional limited time flavor. And let me tell you, 
I think they have a limited time flavor coming to the site soon because I just received a shipment yesterday. It is grasshopper cookie. Yes, it is like a thin mint cookie in a bar. It's freaking delicious. I had one yesterday before my bike ride, and it was awesome. So highly recommend you go and check out Built Bar and keep an eye out for those special flavors that do pop up. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15 and get 15% off your next order. That's the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Today's show is also brought to you by BetOnline.ag, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track the action at BetOnline, get all the news, odds, info, whatever you need for all the sports you like, from baseball, basketball, hockey, UFC and MMA, tennis, golf, all the sports that are going on. It's going to be a very busy sports summer. Apparently, the Olympics are happening still, which seems dubious and terrifying, but if it happens, you'll be able to bet on it for sure. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device and sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use the promo code LOCKEDON, all one word. That is betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. All right, let's round out today's episode with a look at Yuta Watanabe, who was a true delight to watch this season and really one of the brighter spots of the year. You know, OG's development was one. Chris Boucher's breakout was another. Um, you know, Pascal Siakam's playmaking and kind of finding himself again after having the yips in the bubble in the start of the year was also great. Uh, but Utah really is up there in terms of feel-good stories in a season that lacked them. And frankly, probably should have played more. Uh, a reminder of what he did this year, 50 games played, four starts, 14 and a half minutes, 4.4 points, 3.2 boards, uh, just under an assist, half a steal, half a block a game, and shot 40% from three on 1.8 attempts, which is not nothing and is uh, pretty intriguing, if I do say so myself. Um, my big takeaway from Utah's season is I want to see more. And I think there's a really nice role player sitting in there somewhere. The defense is obviously undeniable and was from his first time on the floor this season while he was still on his two-way contract. Just the energy, he kind of plays defense with like a a bit of like a demon joy, you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to defend the hell out of you, I'm going to smile the entire time I'm doing it like a freak, and then when I steal the ball away from you or poke it away... I'm going to keep on smiling. It's just a really delightful package that Utah brings to the floor on the defensive end with the energy. And look, I was pretty low on Utah at the start of the year because I thought his offense was just so far behind where it would need to be to sort of make his defense worth it. In a lot of ways, he was kind of like a Stanley Johnson allegory where, you know, it's okay. Yeah, he's got the defensive tools and maybe there's something there. You see it in flashes, but it's not quite there enough. And maybe the defense just never, or the offense just never catches up to the defense. Of course, as the season went along, that was proven wrong. And that's one of the sort of bonuses, the highlights of having so many players out of the lineup was guys like Utah got to flex their defensive and offensive muscles a little bit more. We saw as the season went along, Utah's usage went up. And we also saw that his confidence and just sort of his ability to fire away really skyrocketed as the season went went along. And I, I think it's a really important development that we saw him sort of taking movement threes and being emboldened to drive, you know, think about it at the start of the year where he was passing up wide open threes. Basically every time he got them, he was so hesitant to shoot. 
as the season progressed, he became far more uh, eager to fire away. Uh, you know, part of part of it was necessity because no one else on the team could fire away, but also it did seem like he kind of learned. Oh no, I can get to my spots here. I'm also like six foot nine. I could shoot shoot over a lot of people as well. His shooting stroke is really nice looking. I just I thought it was a really encouraging and kind of surprising, frankly, offensive growth over the course of the season. You know, usually you'll see those sort of leaps take place over the course of a summer. You get some summer league, you get some workouts, whatever it might be. You go down to Rico Hines and work out. Um, but instead, it, this happened sort of in front of our eyes as the season went along. Of course, I think it was more than deserving that he got his contract picked up for next year. Uh, you know, he's going to be in camp. I don't think it's guaranteed for next year just yet, but I would assume he's going to get guaranteed for next year because he kind of is a perfect prototypical role player and if you're sort of penciling in a rotation right now for next season and I have a notes app where I continue to kind of slot guys in and and figure things out Utah feels like he's going to be like in the top 10 of their rotation next season it is um you know again the the Lowry thing kind of hangs over it all and the first round pick hangs over it all as well but Utah as like the backup three to OG and filling in some backup four minutes to Siakam, maybe even sliding into some small ball lineups where you push OG and Siakam to the four five with Utah at the three with his extra little, you know, putting the ball on the deck and his three point shooting. It's pretty intriguing, man. I, I, I'm a big Utah guy now after not being so hot on him in the start of the season. And, you know, you kind of, I think when I'm sort of hypo, you know, just sort of hypothesizing what the, uh, rotation is going to look like I kind of put into tiers like the starter tier the bench tier and the sort of end of bench guys tier and Utah right now I have sort of at the top of the end of bench guys tier and right on the edge of that tier of like no-brainer reserve guys like if you wanted to go hockey changes next season I don't think they should do this because I kind of don't believe hockey changes are ever a good idea in basketball when you have good players all over the place putting them all on the bench at the same time seems weird but if you were to do that if you wanted to go with a Flynn, Trent, Utah, Boucher, Birch back, you know, second unit, I think that could totally get by. You know, there'd be enough defense there, there's enough passing, there's probably enough shooting. I think that's pretty intriguing. And that that's a nice thing to kind of know going into this offseason. And that because of guys like Utah and, you know, Paul Watson, who we'll talk about at some point too, uh, and Ken Birch, like just the back part of the roster looks so much steadier than I would have expected considering how this season started and how it kind of evolved and the the sort of revolving door of weirdo bench guys that came and went. Utah obviously was a a mainstay through all of it, and he really does, to me, figure to be a pretty decent part of the rotation next season. I think he'll play more. I think he'll play more than the 50 games he got this year, Um, and hopefully he can kind of play himself into a real payday and not just a minimum contract for next year. Um, This is a pro-Utah podcast. How could it not be? He was uh, an absolute thrill to watch this season, especially in the back part of the year as he kind of learned these sort of new powers that he had. Like, oh yeah, I can shoot on the move, baby, and there's nothing you can do about it because, again, I'm six foot nine and I'm enormous. Um... And uh, yeah, that's kind of all I got on Utah. It, it was a, a fun sort of transition to watch. I'm just kind of looking right now at the um, sort of three-point proficiency as the season went along. And you get to the back part of the year, and it's like every night he's taking four or five threes, basically, and he's hitting two or three of them. It was uh, it was a fun way to close the year uh, in a year where there were not many fun things to root for in the last month or so. Um, that, I think, is going to do it for today's episode. We've now... Notched off, I think, over half the roster or about half the roster. And so we'll continue 
to roll through the reviews. We're going to get Katie on soon here to talk about Kyle Lowry. Our friend Carlin Gay is going to come on the podcast on Friday. We're going to talk about Ken Birch and also talk a little Canada basketball. It'd be nice to have Carlin back on the podcast for the first time in a while. Um, and we'll continue the reviews into next week and wrap them up by week's end. Um, and then we'll really ramp up the draft stuff. If you have not yet listened, go back and listen to yesterday's show where we dove into the uh, draft uh, mock lottery draft we did with the Lockdown NBA hosts. I talked a little bit my, about my pick off the top, and then we ran the entire draft. And it's a, it's a good one if you want to get a look into the different prospects who are going to go in the top part of this year's draft. Uh, all right. I'm going to leave it there. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please subscribe to Rate Review wherever you get your podcasts. Find me on Twitter at WoodleySean. Of course, my pinned tweet right now has all of the details for your Locked On Raptors draft lottery watch party and the, the charities that we are donating money to. Again, 365 bucks in less than 24 hours is truly absurd, and it's very awesome. And also, should shout out our friends over at Pascal Fan Club, who uh, have put up, I think I mentioned this yesterday, maybe I didn't, they've put up a t-shirt as well, uh, Pascal Siakam All-Star t-shirt as one of the prizes, probably going to go to the winner of the trivia I put together. And if you know this podcast, I love me some silly and probably too difficult Raptors trivia, and I uh, invite you all to take part and uh, hang out on Draft Lottery Night, have a couple of drinks, and have some fun while also raising money for some great causes. And uh, with that, I will talk to you again on Thursday with another episode of Locked On Raptors. Have a good one, everybody. Bye-bye. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.